Welcome to Teachers Talk Texts, the podcast where English teachers share their insights and interpretations of texts currently studied in BCE English. I'm your host, Claire Mackey. Let's dive into today's episode. In the spirit of reconciliation, Teachers Talk Texts acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hello everyone, thank you for listening in. It's been a really long time between pods, I have to say. 2022 was an incredibly big year for me, both professionally and personally. I was lucky enough to split my time between two big education organisations, one a school and one leading professional development for highly skilled educators. And I also found out we were expecting a new addition to our family, which was baby Scarlett, born in October 2022. So I had many proverbial balls in the air and one had to drop, which unfortunately was this podcast but I'm really excited to be back. However I can see lots of people were still listening to episodes that had already been released and I knew that I would come back to recording as soon as I could. I'm really excited about chatting with some more incredible educators this year. I have some really fantastic teachers lined up and with a new study design rolling in it's an exciting time to be in both the English space and the education space. In this episode I spoke with Ashley Cavillan, who has some really interesting insights into Sunset Boulevard, a new text on the VCE English text list for 2023. I really enjoyed talking to her about the symbolism of the film and how Wilder uses this film as a mechanism to communicate his criticisms about Hollywood and how layered this is. Ashley also runs her own YouTube channel, so if you like what you hear today, I recommend clicking the show notes for her links for more information. Now, onto the conversation, and those listening in very carefully might hear some interjections from Baby Scarlet. I apologize, I've tried to keep those to a minimum, but uh, she may be a, an addition to the pod for a few episodes to come. But it's so good to be back. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me on Teachers Talk Text. No worries. Thanks for having me. I really am excited to be here to chat about our text today. I'm excited too. Sunset Boulevard, new on the text list. I feel I was sad. I was sad to see Rear Window go, but also understood that it was time. Yes, I feel like I was very much in the same boat. But then seeing Sunset come up, I'm going, you know what? I can keep those vibes of rear window, but now I've got something fresh to work with and I'm excited for the kids as well. Yes. I think, you know, I was talking with a teacher last year about this and this teacher was saying every year that you teach a text, in the case of something like rear window that was on for six years, I want to say. Yeah, it was a while. It was a while. When you first start teaching it, you're not learning it with the kids, but you kind of are like you're going through teaching it the first time and you spend so much more time on the foundational parts. But then each year you do it, you kind of skim over the foundational elements a little bit and you almost assume the kids have more knowledge than they actually actually Yeah, I definitely just want to get to the meaty stuff. Like, oh, there's so many great things, particularly in Sunset Boulevard. I want to unwrap all the layers of these really great scenes. Yeah. Like, hang on a second. They're not sure on who's who and what's what yet. 
No. It's potentially the first film of that, depending on the school and what was chosen in year 11. I mean, you hope, I guess, that you're planning ahead and maybe in year 11 you've done a text of a similar era that maybe is black and white. You know, maybe they've done All About Eve. Maybe they've done another text that was be- has been on the list in that same oeuvre, but not not everyone has. So it's a whole new world. Yeah, definitely. And I know our cohort, they're coming off the back of All About Eve, so they're really well prepared for the era and some of the values of this text. But they've looked at it and they've gone, yeah, like this." Some great similarities, but some really significant differences here. There are indeed. I'm going to throw you my first question, which is why do you love Sunset Boulevard? I think you especially love Sunset Boulevard. You've done some work with it already, which we'll talk about later. But, yeah, what is it that you love about it? I think my love for it initially came from the fact that I'm not only an English teacher but a legal studies teacher as well. I'm a real crime buff. And as soon as I saw the mystery element, that dramatic revelation at the beginning of the film where the narrator is revealed to be the deceased body in the pool. Sorry for the spoilers. We should have already watched it before we've listened to this, I think. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And I think that part of me wanting to know who killed Joe Gillis and why, that had me. And I think that when my students saw it for the first time, that had them as well. Mm. But more than that, this film is such, it's so great that it's just more than that consumer-driven whodunit that you would see as a popcorn film. You have that golden Hollywood era that it's that huge, beautiful backdrop. And it's just so, so many layers of complexity, the fame, the wealth, the deceit, perception and misconception And I think that that coupled with the mystery, it really had some of the kids looking past, oh, this is a black and white film, going, oh, this is a really cool black and white film. It is a cool film, isn't it? And I think it's it's one of those films that has been embedded into, there's a word for this and probably... Your your brain will be better than mine, given the baby in my lap. But you know that I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. De- Mr. DeVille or Mr. DeMille. That's something that is said in pop culture. It's become it's an intertextual reference that I knew of before I knew of the film, which I think is what, what makes, I mean, perhaps this is why we study these texts, is it not, to understand these references. But there is something a little bit special about it. It is a classic. It's a sort of film that everyone, even if you haven't, seen it you're like oh yeah I know that one and I also think that once students study something like this it's their repertoire it's something they can talk about and be a little bit intellectual with and you know there's so many so many symbolic things in this text as well and I love being able to pause scenes with my students and really look at well what does that mean what does that symbolize if we're looking at things like Norma's mansion itself or Joe's car or just different things that you can unpack I remember being online once and I saw this meme and it was like English teachers and they're reading a passage and it says something about a blue door and they're like what does the blue door symbolize and the student's like it's just a blue door and I just always keep coming back to that meme with my students going let's unpack stuff that what literature is about, that's what good film is about. 
you know, it's okay to try and find deeper meaning in stuff. I think, are we actually the same person? Because I use that in my class all the time. And because what it's about, I mean, if we're we're using kind of some literary theory here, Mm. this idea of the death of the author, you know, that a a person or a text creator, a director, a writer, a poet can, can create a text, send it out into the world, and then they have no more control of it. We as the consumers of that text, emboldened to make of it what we will, and so that blue door can mean whatever we want it to mean and that I agree that's the most exciting thing about being an English teacher I think is is hoping that students get to that aha moment I you know like oh I get that now the door is blue because it's you know the deep sadness of the protagonist or or whatever. So I feel like we should start by having a talk about like what you mentioned there the symbols of the film the visual construction I guess, of it, because I think sometimes having read many a rear window essay, students sometimes only refer to what is phys- what is actually said by characters. But to appropriately engage with a film text, we need to be discussing also how meaning is constructed through the visual form and the auditory form, the music I, and the sound. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that it's so important to have additional viewings of the film where you can stop and pause and look at the visual features that Billy Wilder has used. Mm. I know one of the first things I noticed when I was watching Sunset Boulevard were the cars. The yeah. use of not only Joe's car but Norma's car to really represent freedom and dreams and in some ways Norma's domination over Joe as we hear Joe say that the impending loss of his car was akin to cutting off his legs. Yeah. And, and she puts that car in the garage and closes it, doesn't she, at some point? Oh, no, she doesn't. The Max does. Absolutely. And he has this wonderful modern-looking automobile, which is a real symbol of, well, to him, of status and wealth and all of what he has gone to Hollywood to achieve and not quite made it apart from this car and this loss is just another indication to him that he hasn't made it but Norma is so completely dismissive of Joe when his car is being towed away and the language used by the characters in this scene and immediately following this scene shows such a shift in that power dynamics in the relationship so it's great to see students talking about what Norma is saying and how Wilder is showing the car to represent more than that. She says to Joe, we don't need two cars. Mm. And Joe's like, she would take me for drives. And it just builds this whole picture of Norma taking fuller control of the relationship and Joe's complete lack of autonomy, which all started with the car and has now spread further and further this huge web. That's so interesting. And interesting maybe too if we're thinking about that era thinking about the kind of socio-historical cultural context Mm. and even through to today how much consumer culture drives that that idea of what it means to be a man to maybe coming Mm. in there perhaps not what Wilder was necessarily initially meaning but my brain went straight there and this idea of maybe being made a bit impotent by Norma in a number she does that in a number of different ways but a car as extension of self too, which I know many people feel desiring mm. a particular card. Yeah, it has a status. It says something about you. Oh, I really like that. Yeah, I really, really like absolutely. that. 
And I think deliberate or not, gender roles do come through quite predominantly in the film. Mm. And we see, again, the idea of mirrors and photos come through quite a lot. If you pause and look in the background, the idea of self-image and obsession is not necessarily stated at times, but it's just so prominent in the mise-en-scene of so many of Wilder's constructions. Norma just has self-portraits, right, in her living room. Her home is just essentially a museum of her previous life. Yes. And her stardom is just reflected through these images of herself that in her home she continuously plays her own films. Yes. And Joe says openly it's all she wanted to see and it just constructs this idea of Mm self-obsession. Mm-hmm. and I particularly ask students not just to focus on the images of, her, of herself, but also Wilder's use of mirrors throughout the film as well. They're dominant in the landscape of her home and mm. she hyper-focuses in on her own face. Mm. She tries to establish, well, sorry, Wilder tries to establish that this is an ageing star who is quite fearful of that outside world. And, again, we can see that rather than being told that. And it's great if students can pick up on how that was constructed rather than said. And I think sometimes students will know that implicitly about mm. the film because we as the generation of kids coming through now, as with previous, like maybe the previous generation, not the one before mm. that, we've been reading films since we were able to, see basically mm-hmm. and so students might just know they might I find might say Norma is incredibly self-obsessed and then move on but it's about making that next step and and what you're saying about connecting it explicitly to mm-hmm. and and trying to use one of those terms like mise-en-scene like within the, the use of cinematography or the placement the positioning all those elements using some of that meta language to discuss and prove why that is the case because you and I know and the student knows everyone knows that that's true but it's just yeah. about being really really explicit in how that evidence proves a point because it does need to be supported my brain went to also the thing I noticed and and I've come to I've my preparation for today was I watched Sunset Boulevard it's my first it was my first time I was I had not watched it somehow I missed it and I love that when that happens when you miss a text when you've studied a lot of texts but and you find a real gem yeah I even did cinema studies at uni and did Citizen Kane and all that anyway but didn't do Sunset Boulevard the door her front the front door to Norma's house just stood out to me so much in that this idea of her being, well, her being trapped or trapping Joe, I was kind of oscillating between the two. She's trapped in her own fantasy in that idea. Like I feel like that doorway is like a clanging jail cell, but also that Joe, when he moves into the main home, becomes also trapped within that. Um, does. At one stage mm. she even uses the word prison. Yeah. And I think that that's so such a powerful word choice to negate that this situation has become so toxic and Norma's mansion itself is such an incredible piece of cinematography to look at just this mansion being a personification of herself and her celebrity and he notes as soon as he walks up that this is a neglected house it's got an unhappy look and it's just so unkempt in disrepair and he makes Mm. the assumption that it's almost somewhat abandoned which I immediately connected once I'd finished watching the film going 
will abandon like Norma, abandon like her relationship with Paramount and her mm. relationship with DeMille. And we do see that mansion and even the pool itself start to turn around and look different as that relationship with Joe becomes more and more central to her life. And it's yeah. very interesting to see it return to that original grandiose form and just the irony of the pool itself. But Oh, there's so much that we could talk about. So much. Well, yeah, so she feels the pull for Joe because she says at some point, I'll feel the pull for you, and then it just happens. And then yes. that also marks the place of his death. Mm, and he had those, all those wonderful quotes from the beginning of the film where he was alluding to himself saying, you know, he always wanted a pool and the price turned out to be too high, showing that Joe himself saw the pool as a symbol of making it big mm. and grandeur and fame. And I think one thing that probably freaked me out a little bit as well is when Joe moves temporarily into the home and he casts his eye across the pool and it's filled with those rats congregating at the bottom, yes. constructing, I think, in my eyes, this dark foreshadowing of what the pool probably will represent mm. and the rats, you know, ew. Yeah. <laughs> or even that something is rotten or that there's some dark underside of of fame. I mean, do you mm. think Wilder, because he is making a commentary about the Hollywood kind of system too. That's important for students to know for context coming into this film that the big studios would – have actors, I guess, signed to them, wouldn't they, for a, ser a sequence of films and you couldn't – it's not like now where an actor will go up for a part and they could do one film with Paramount the next film with Miramax and the next film with another big – I'm trying to think of another big film studio in America and I'm, I'm, I don't have it, but they'd be contracted. Yeah, definitely. And just have to do the films that they're given, right? Yeah, it was really one of the first films that cast a light on Hollywood itself. Mm. And Wilder is saying a lot. He's saying something that's really complex about the industry that, yes, behind all this beauty is this kind of dark underbelly that I'm, I'm going to kind of expose. Mm. And I think in achieving his purpose, I found it really interesting when I did more research on the film and the casting that Norma's character, who is this replaced actress from the silent era, was then uh, played by Gloria Swanson, who was from the silent era as an actress herself. Really? So, yes. Yeah, so kind of the idea of, oh, I love go, that. I'm actually going to cast a silent era actress who's out of date, out of fashion, Let's put her in this role, almost, you know, life-imitating art. art. Yeah. And you have the idea of DeMille, who is one of our central characters, actually played by himself. The real director DeMille is in there. Mm -hmm. So I think that his deliberate casting shows that this is more than just a film. He's essentially taking real elements of Hollywood, adding his creative licence to construct his message that, you know, not all is glitz and glamour in Los Angeles. There is something more meaningful here. And something that needs to be discussed and be and be talked about. And it's, it, it interests me too that, I mean, obviously I appreciate Joe dies, so maybe this doesn't land so well, but I, the, the, 
the inference, I think, is that women really did find themselves the worst off in this structure, I guess, or this this mm-hmm. way of, of structuring businesses because they were so valued for their aesthetic beauty and for their youth. The life of their career was relatively short, which is why I think Norma, like you mentioned, is so self-obsessed and spends so much time and money on her face and on different people coming to do different things to her face and putting face masks on and all sorts of, because there is that gendered. I always like to find the feminist argument. I'm not going to lie. I think, you know, feminist reading. I Mm. think if you look at her character against DeMille, who is significantly older but has had this long, illustrious career which has never been challenged Mm. in Hollywood, that he's still able to sit in his director's chair and call the shots, yet when Norma reappears at the lot, there are comments about, oh, well, I thought she was dead. Uh, We can really see that double standard play out in real time here that Norma has been forgotten, yet DeMille has never missed a beat. Yeah. I felt really sorry for her in that scene. Oh, that's really... my favourite. Mm. Why? Look, I like, again, that complexity of the construction in this scene is so important. And I take it from the moment that she arrives at Paramount's lot, mm. from her very first interaction with the security guards where only the oldest security guard, Jonesy, knows who she is. Mm. And I say to students, pick up on those things. Yeah, It's so important that in terms of constructing the idea of time pass. So I like to pick up on those things. The scene is, there's so many things I could talk about. The fact that the assistants brush her off. And I like to look at DeMille's language in the scene as well, where he speaks to her using a lot of falsities. And I ask the students going, okay, let's look at what DeMille has said versus what we think he means based off his body language. Yeah. And his tone. I said, all of these things matter. Do we believe that he's being genuine? And they're like, no. And I'm like, why? How is that being portrayed? Mm. And that wonderful part of the scene where Jamil places her in the director's chair and the lighting hand shines that three-point lighting onto her to emphasize this fleeting moment of return, which is only to be shut down by Jamil, who goes, turn that light back where it belongs. And we read between the lines that, okay, this this really is it for her career, yet she doesn't see it yet. No. I love that part of being the audience and realising that when she hasn't realised that yet. That dramatic irony. And we know as well because we realise that the reason she was being called was they wanted to use her card, weren't they? And we know that because they tell Max then yes. Max and Joe, but but she doesn't know that. So that evokes pity, I suppose, in, in us as the audience for her. Mm. Where at the start, maybe up until that point, maybe I hadn't felt pity for her. I'd felt judgment, a little bit of judgment, thinking she was a little bit self-obsessed and bizarre and that she didn't her behavior was, yeah, was bizarre in some way. But then that you're right, that scene's quite a pivotal turning point, I think in our relationship with her as the audience. I agree. And especially when I contrast that against the first time we see Norma. And to me, I think that was almost the biggest put off of the film. The scene where Joe arrives and is mistaken for the undertaker and 
Norma leads him up to her room where there's this dead chimpanzee in the mansion. And at first I'm just going, this is bonkers. <laughs> I'm like, what is this supposed to be? Where am I? What on earth is happening? What does this even mean? Yeah. All those questions went through my head as a first-time viewer and I've gone, okay, let's unpack this. Do you think the chimpanzee means anything? I think it does. I want it to, like my English teacher would want it to, but yeah. Look, look, when I look at this in the elaborately staged boudoir, I just see this chimpanzee from being being from a different era of filmmaking. Just like Norma, a completely different era, which is no longer appreciated, again, showing that passing of old Hollywood and also just highlighting the eccentricity of Norma herself and her bizarre ability to cling to the remnants of the past. I feel like the film wouldn't be complete without this scene and I think it really set me up as the viewer to go, this is going to be a real kooky ride. So, so maybe its purpose then is to disorient us slightly to make it very clear that this film is is going to be something a little bit different, that we aren't, it isn't, you know, about the modern. And always appreciating where Norma is coming from as well, that it isn't where either the audience watching in the 1950s was from nor us as the modern viewer. Yeah. So that there's, you know, I've never watched a film with a live chimpanzee. No. Well... <laughs> Yeah. The Lion King, I think maybe I the live action one, but I mean, for different that's a that's different to how chimpanzees and other animals were used in silent film era. I think. Yes, exactly. So I think that just that appreciation that this is from a completely different time and Norma's from a completely different time. Yes, that's what I got out of that scene apart from a moment of complete madness, and that. Yeah, that Joe's so mistaken. And that leads up this leads us maybe nicely to talk about Max, who I feel like we need to talk about in any discussion of Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. Because I think his character is so interesting and unique and I'm ra- I'm still kind of wrapping my head around how he wa- went from her husband and director to her I mean effectively servant. And I have so many questions, is he paid? How does the relationship work? D- why is he doing it? Anyway, I would love your thoughts on this because I only have questions. I have no answers. No, I think it's a very interesting part of the film. I know when watching this with my class, that moment where it's revealed that Max is the first of her three husbands mm. and he gives that tale about being the former talented director and that he was alike to DeMille. It just it, it opens so many questions, which is great for the creative task. So good. All I can just think of is his loyalty. It's on display. She's intimately seducing Joe in this tango in one part of the film. His refusal to tell Norma about Joe's nightly escapades, him sending the letters. Yes. Um, All I can think of is that this is a complete act of self-sacrifice for people that we love Mm. that perhaps, it is beyond understanding love as a concept yeah. and that maybe even in Hollywood it's difficult to deduce real affection from their world, which is full of manipulation. And we see other relationships which are manipulative in the text and Max just has this 
such pure love for Norma mm. that he seems willing to do anything, even right up to the end of the film where he honestly cares so much about her that he sets up this grand production to get her down the stairs and into the awaiting police car. I think that it's a really complex relationship and I don't really think there's going to be a concrete answer as to Mm. why he does it. Well, I mean, that's exciting though because you're right for the creative but also if students wanted to focus on Sunset for their analytical response in the exam, Mm. which I know it feels a long way away. I shouldn't say the E word just yet, but, you know, in a minute it will be upon us. But that... It does therefore open up some possibilities in analysis that I think mm. to also discuss it against other relationships in the text is a particularly interesting discussion. Yes. When you have a relationship like Norma and Joe's, which is essentially toxic, a stable older actress uses a younger man to bolster her own insecurities. And he allows it to happen. Yes. For financial remuneration exactly the emotional blackmail on both sides Mm. huge particularly with her continual threats of self-harm and things like this as well it's such a complex and toxic relationship in contrast to the max norma relationship and then you've still got other relationships in the text like Joe's relationship with Betty, and I know a few of my students became really obsessed with this being the most wrong relationship in the text. Yes, because sure that that's what Wilder had meant for it to be. Betty is married to or engaged to Joe's friend. Yes, correct, and they have this peer-like and jovial tone to their early relationship, which they have this conversation at Artie's party intertwined with nonsense, and we see this connection building. And in some ways you're like, yes, you want them to end up together, but in many other ways, particularly my students are very critical of them saying, that's wrong, she's engaged to another man, she shouldn't kiss him, this is a worse deceit than what else is happening. And I think they're taking a very modern view of that relationship. It's interesting you think that the, well, the stereotype would be that the modern view would be quite okay with her, with Betty playing the field and that, <laughs> you know, the 1950s audience would be more more critical do we know what the reception was like i just feel like i I could have done some research but what the reception was like for that when the film first premiered was that a problem for audiences or were they quite think so i think because in the end betty doesn't essentially get her man either so it's all okay yeah i think that it's all okay (laughs) and we never really get a resolution for betty either and i think that Mm. that opens so many doors for other creatives and other ways of thinking as well that what could have happened, what would have happened, what does Betty do next? Does she run off and marry Artie like he wanted her? I have so many questions about Betty and I really wish that that had been resolved. Fun thing about this this job, right, that there's always always questions and unfortunately no one can resolve Mm. them for us, but we... That's why the creative is such a fantastic task. It's the last year that we get to experience it in its current iteration and yet a brand new text to happen. So... Um, So what would you, you know, you're at the moment teaching this in your classroom, which is so what a beautiful privileged position to be in, and students are writing creatively on Sunset. What do you think would you, like if you had some tips, if you want to give someone some tips, what is it that would 
make you happy as a teacher. I feel like maybe then all your students will listen to this and take notes. That's not the point of why I'm asking. I'm saying generally because mm. well, I think it's hard to to convert or to take a film text and do a written creative. Not impossible. Yeah. No, I understand. One thing that I keep trying to promote to my students is just because it's a film text doesn't mean there isn't language. Yeah. I've really encouraged students to get a hold of the script and start to look at the way each character speaks and the things that make them themselves and try to bring that through in their writing when they're trying to replicate character. Mm. For instance, we were reading an extract today where the character was writing about me, me, Norma Desmond, and just that reiteration of the word me, the way that Norma had done in the text, was really powerful in establishing her voice as a character. So I really encourage students to look at the language. Even Uh, in the script. Yeah, Mm. even in the script itself, just to really convey, especially for that first criteria about textual understanding, that you can do that. Also, I think that it's really easy with a creative to get sucked into writing something really simple like an alternative ending and my key advice to students is would your piece of writing seamlessly fit into the world of Sunset Boulevard as it is? Where can you expand to give new information rather than go something that will not fit with the world of the text as we know it? For instance, I had a couple of students talking about Max taking the blame for Norma's murder of Joe and I've just Mm. gone, while that fits with Max's character, I'm not sure you're going to be able to write the best creative piece about that. Try and find something within the world of the text where you could slip in more easily. Yeah. So I think that that's probably my advice for students tackling the creative going, if this wouldn't slide into the script, maybe it's not the way to go for the creative. Mm. And I think it can be like you mentioned. I want. I don't. I don't like to use the word derivative with student work because it seems a little bit critical and you know creative writing at uni. But mm-hmm. it can be really easy, especially if you take another character's perspective, to just simply rewrite the film that we already know from that perspective. You you kind of want to have something, a nugget of something, an insight that isn't in the original film to answer, like you said, to answer a question that hasn't mm-hmm. has not yet been answered, and that's where. When you read those creatives and the hair stands up on the back of your neck and you think, oh, that's so brilliant, you know, that should have been included in the original, you know, they're yeah. the best ones. Mm. And I think by re-watching key scenes and taking detailed notes, as I said, of language, of the key features like the cars and the, the mirrors and things like that that you can bring through your piece, you'll start to create something that's special. Yeah. On the topic of pieces that are special, I know that it's been a real hot topic in education at the moment around chat GPT. Mm-hmm. I've even had a play around as well and trying to create text in chat GPT that are creative and special. It was actually very limiting and I showed a few of those samples to some of my students today and it was very clear that the person, well, it's not really a person, is it? The <laughs> AI. Artificial- intelligence that had written it couldn't convey that language and there was just something missing from that writing that showed that you didn't have an in-depth understanding of Sunset Boulevard 
And so it was really interesting to read those samples and go, yeah, you've missed the first criteria here. There's something missing. So make sure that you've got that real strong text connection and make sure that you are looking to try to bring voice and style. I'm so glad you actually brought that up, ChatGPT. We were talking about that. I was talking about that with some very briefly with some other teachers I work with, and it's, I think it's a conversation we're going to keep having. But mm-hmm. this idea that the craft of writing and the act of writing and crafting a text takes time. It's a bit painful. It hurts your brain. You word and reword. You scribble. You cross out. You add and it isn't the way ChatGPT does it with that, you know, a little curse comes up, goes like boop, 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 and then just the words just like prop out. And I think it just doesn't, it, it can't have that sparkle of beautiful creative writing that we so aspire, we aspire to achieve it for our students, right? We want our students to to write at that level. It's a bit dead, the length, you know, the, because it is not alive because AI, I mean, I, I know it's alive, but not alive, you know. Yeah, they, they, mm. we felt from reading the samples it didn't actually capture Norma's eccentricity. Right. It didn't capture Max's devotion to Norma. The word choice just wasn't there. And in some cases it was blatantly wrong where wow. it had described Max as having a motherly relationship with Norma and the students got a bit of a laugh out of that going, no, this is no. romantic, this is intimate, this is personal. And, I mean, if anything, if you're going to write Max's relationship, you might write that it's a little bit creepy, a little bit, you know, he's a little bit obsessed with her. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm looking forward to spending more time with ChatGPT to see what it can do. But what we're saying to students is don't, don't be tempted to just go and, say, write a creative piece from the perspective of because it just it's not going to cut the mustard and uh, your teacher will know. This is the thing we know. We know what AI script it's just something it's just something and when it the way it reads I can't put my finger exactly on it but your teacher will you know be able to pick it and it's just not going to do it's not going to get you the score that you want I think yeah absolutely and particularly with a creative task which requires you to write a statement of intention explaining your authorial choices yes if you haven't made the authorial choices it makes it a little bit difficult to then talk about construction and how you have added elements of the text and revealed something new and embodied the tone and voice of those characters yeah so it's a really great task to get students starting to write something that is really for lack of a better word creative (laughs) yes (laughs) it needs to be we want it to be creative I wonder I mean we've kind of answered this this question throughout our our discussion but one of my favorite questions is what do you think Wilder was intending to achieve through mm-hmm. sunset we've kind of we've dabbled in it but what what do you think if he had can you summarize his purpose i really think that wilder aims to illuminate would be the word that i would choose illuminate and i think he tries to illuminate the issues that were happening in hollywood during the time that he was screenwriting and directing and really bring forth the idea that this world had a dark side to it. I think that that's the crux of what he wanted to do and I think that he wanted to make it real and in some ways at the sacrifice of his own reputation and own career, he's making almost an anti-Hollywood film 
and presenting it in Hollywood. Yeah, right. So he's kind of putting himself out on a limb. But there was a few different directors and writers at the time who were kind of anti-establishment and wanting to take take everyone down. Why do you think, well, why do you think the VCAA chose it to go on the text list? Look, I struggled with this question a little bit, but I just kept coming back to why I think this text would resonate with students. I think at the heart of it, it's really a story about truth and reality and yeah. that students can take this context and apply it to their own lives. Like yeah. I've been watching it today and going, the dangers of obsession with self and linking that to TikTok and Instagram mm. and everyone wanting to be Insta-famous, I think that that is still a real connection that students can make between this film that was made you know, 70 years ago and yeah. themselves and the unorthodox and fictitious lives of celebrities and I think that being able to analyse what is, I suppose, printed in the media and being critical and looking at celebrities' lives and saying, well, perhaps they're not all the glitz and glamour that are presented. Perhaps there's more to this story. I yeah. think that our students can resonate with that because they live this life. They have access to so much technology and so much social media and so much celebrity gossip that, yeah, perhaps it's still relevant to them today. And I hope that that's part of the reason that VCAR has picked it because, it's so interesting to look at analytically, so interesting to look at it creatively, and there's just so many layers to this film mm. that, yeah, it's something that our students will hopefully find really interesting. I really like that. I like, uh, yes, and we all love a text to world connection. Look at us, we're doing what we tell the students to do. But you're right and that there is this dark side of fame, maybe something everyone wants, but... What are we willing to sacrifice to, to achieve it? What was Joe willing to sacrifice? It's interesting too, you know, sometimes when I think, when I'm thinking about a text and thinking about what an author or a director is trying to tell me, you can look at kind of what happens to the characters and are they punished in some way? And, I mean, Joe is punished because he's he's dead. It's pretty much the, the ultimate punishment. So there's something there that Wilde is telling us about the way that Joe operates and what happens in his life and the way what he values, what he if some integrity maybe is sacrificed throughout and that, that ultimately leads leads to his death. And are you willing to die maybe for fame, literally yeah. or metaphorically? Yeah, I think Joe is a character that I don't think I ever decided if I loved him or hated him. Mm-hmm. And I think I still continuously sit somewhere in the middle going, yes, he did some immoral thing, but did he? does the punishment fit the crime? And I think that's a really interesting point that students love to discuss, their sense of moral justice. Absolutely. And whether or not what he did to Norma was, I suppose, bad enough to warrant his ending. His ending. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's what's going to make reading essays about this so interesting because students will come in, we hope, with a clear perspective on the text. Even if that even if that perspective changes depending on the essay, at least the essay, each individual essay, hopefully will have a clear kind of position on these issues and feel confident about whether or not, you know, 
we we do we pity Norma? Do we pity Joe? Who was right? Who was wrong? Whose fault was it? Yeah, the idea of not just whose fault is it is the idea of Paramount or the idea of Hollywood as its own character yeah. where they are to blame. I think looking at that overarching constraints on both Norma and Joe and DeMille, are they just a product of the time, a product of society that they live in? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really interesting to get them to look at going it goes beyond the individual. The individual. Mm. Yes. The criticism is broader than that. Mm. Wow. Thank you so much for talking to me today. That's all right. I really appreciate it. I love talking text. I love talking Sunset Boulevard in particular. Well, yes. Tell me. Now, I know just a spook here, everyone, because the wonderful Ashley has her own YouTube channel. Yes? Called Mrs. Cavillan's Classroom. Essentially, it is just short help videos for students on particular tech. I've focused heavily on Sunset Boulevard, Photograph 51, My Brilliant Career, The Women of Troy, and a couple of classic texts like Romeo and Juliet just to start getting a bit of a Vic curriculum, V-car vibe rather than a lot of the videos that come from the US or the UK. Um, And that kind of led me to adding some hard copy resources that accompany those on my Teachers Pay Teachers account. So everything kind of comes as a bit of a bundle. And, you know, if you're looking for something just to get started, particularly on a text that's new like Sunset, Mm. or a text like My Brilliant Career, which is relatively new as well and you want a fresh take. I just wanted to put them out there and, yeah, start some great discussion and on some great tech. Brilliant. I love that. And My Brilliant Career, well, maybe we can talk about that too at another time. But thank you so much and thank you for sharing your thoughts and I'm I'm always so grateful that teachers are willing to come on and, I mean, sometimes teach me. You taught me things today because I've come in and gone, I watched the film, let's talk about it. But you have such beautiful insights already and I'm sure that there are many students and teachers out there in Victoria who'd be very grateful for, for all of these ideas and people, yeah, people write in on the Instagram and tell me, oh, you know, I chose that one point and it led to an entire great class discussion. So that's what we want. We want to share and help each other out, I think, as educators. But, yeah, thank you so much. No worries. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. If you did get something out of today, I'd love for you to support the show by donating a virtual coffee using the link in the show notes or on my Instagram bio at Teachers Talk Text. I really love hosting this podcast and I want to continue doing it, but I do need your support. If you don't already follow me at Teachers Talk Text, definitely do as I post updates about the podcast there, as well as other opportunities to learn more about the text in BC English. See you next time. Bye.